Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode of Get Booked is brought to you by Book Riot Insiders. If you are struggling to keep up with the latest releases or want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs, or if you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, which is available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by our resident Velasa reader, Liberty Hardy, from the All the Books podcast. And she keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publications so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. So go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 173, and we are recording on March 19th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. How's it going? Hello. Good, good, good. Oh, good. Have you been following the uh, tournament of books? No, I haven't. I totally missed it. What's uh, what's going on there? I, the milkman got eliminated this morning, and I just like keep reading the judgment over and over because <laughs> it doesn't. I haven't read the milkman yet, to be clear. So, like, I have no dog in this fight. Um, what a terrible metaphor that is! I just realized. <laughs> I have no dog in this fight, um, but like it, it won the Booker, didn't it? And I don't know. I'm just confused by this. this I feel like the tournament of books values different things than the Booker. Maybe mm-hmm. that's that's yeah, my well. The book that it was up against was Warlight, the Michael Andache's last book, which huh. I only ever heard like meh about. You know, like if you like Andache, you'll like this, but it's, it's a book, like it's a World War II book, whatever. Right. Um, so I'm just confused. who is the judge though? I don't know who this person is. Um, it is. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Uh, Avital Chizik Goldschmidt, the hmm. editor, one of the editors at Forward. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mm-hmm. read their reviews sometimes, which are usually very good, actually. Um, mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. hmm. This that's has awesome. been the Musing Corner with Amanda <laughs> and Jen. I so feel what like are you reading? Just, <laughs> I know what I was going to say. I'm a, I've been rereading Dune by Frank Herbert wow. uh, because because we're doing a special book club episode for the SFF Yeah podcast with a very special guest who I will not say who it is. Woo! You'll just have to wait to find out. Um, and we're recording that this week, even though it won't be out for a little bit longer. And so I've been trying to get through it. And y'all, like that book is, it's like, I'm like, oh, it's, it's like 500 something pages. That's not oh. too bad. But the print on my mass market is so tiny and the paper is so thin that it's like deceptive like it's 500 and something very long pages um so I'm not done and I'm not gonna finish before we record and that's just gonna have to be okay what about you um I'm reading Thick by Tressie McMillan Cotton which uh well I'm listening to it on audio uh which is only four hours which is awesome it's a collection of essays um Tressie is a sociologist um, in Richmond. She's from Richmond. She works at VCU. And she's written this collection of essays about race and beauty and like healthcare for black women. And it's all really fascinating. Um, and I'm reading it for the book club at the broad, which is our, 
um, women's co-working space in Richmond. And we're hoping that Tressie can come and talk to us about it. Fingers crossed. Awesome. I know. It's very exciting. Um, she's a, like, a maybe to attend uh, the book club. But I, I have, like, so many things I want to talk to her about. And uh, it's so good. And it's really great on audio. She reads it. Um, she reads it on audio. And I, I, I always love when authors read their own essay collections because they like they nail the humor and like they know exactly what they were trying to say so they get like the inflection of the jokes and all that stuff um it's really delightful and I think that if you have read like if you are on a I don't know like a intersectional feminist reading journey which I think a lot of us are um this is a great follow-up to bad feminist like bad feminist is such an intro level and this is like if bad feminist is 101 thick is like 201 you know um, nice. So I re- am really enjoying it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, if you are listening for the first time, as we said at the top, this is a reading recommendation show, which means you send us your questions for what you should read next, what your book club should read, what you might get for a friend or relative, and we will do our best to find you a good option. If you would like to submit a question, you can do that either by emailing getbooked at bookriot.com or you can drop your question in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If you have a time-sensitive question, you're hoping to get the response by a specific date, please put that all caps, subject line of the email or first line of the form. We do our best. If we think we're not going to get to your question on air by the date mentioned, we might shoot you an email. So keep an eye out for those. Um, We do have some feedback from previous episodes from listeners. Uh, Summer for uh, recommends, excuse me, Summer recommends for another modern Beauty and the Beast retelling Lionheart by Francine, which has an um, Arab American soldier with PTSD and his new housekeeper. And as a bonus, it's not a wounded vet, but Bridget Kemmerer's newest A Curse So Dark and Lovely is also a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Very nice. Uh, All right, let's see. So Amanda's going to read our first question and our first sponsor and away we go. Okay, our first question is from Sarah, who says, I'm headed in mid-April to a writing center in Inverness Shire, Scotland. I'd love recommendations for books set in Inverness Shire, the town of Inverness, or anywhere else in the Scottish Highlands. I don't really like historical fiction, romance, science fiction, fantasy, or beautifully written books where not a lot happens. (laughs) (laughs) I've read books by Scottish authors Val McDermott and Ian Rankin and Muriel Sparks. Any suggestions for contemporary fiction, especially YA, would be amazing. Okay, before we get to it, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Nurex. So imagine if you could chat with doctors anytime from your phone, get your birth control prescriptions online, and get it delivered straight to your door every month with automatic refills. Enter Nurex, the game-changing company that's here to make getting your birth control easier. They offer end-to-end care without ever having to leave your house, so you're paying for fewer doctor visits, you're not having to stand in line at the pharmacy, no more forgetting to pick up your refills, which I do literally every month. Uh, if you don't have insurance, it's one of the most affordable options for getting your birth control. If you do have insurance, it's often completely free. Just go to their website or their app and answer a few of your health, a few health-related questions for their doctors. Um, it's all safe and like HIPAA compliant and secure, so your information is secure. They carry over 50 brands of birth control, so you can choose your go-to, or their medical team will help you find, um, you know, the best option for you. So go to nurex.com/slash booked that's n-u-r-x dot com slash booked for a twenty dollar credit and get birth control at your doorstep in less than a week Alrighty, um i'm just gonna keep going so scotland that sounds like a fun trip yay 
Um, I picked September by Rosamund Pilcher, which, okay, I know you you don't like beautifully written books where not a lot happens. And not a lot happens here when it comes to like murders or adventures. This is about like interpersonal relationships in a small Scottish village. So there's a lot happening in terms of like angst and feelings, <laughs> uh, but not a lot happening in terms of like going and doing things. So it all centers around this 21st birthday party for a girl who lives uh, in the village and people are coming into town from, you know, far flung areas um, back to their hometown for this big party. So, which is happening of course in September. Um, and we're following mostly a woman named Violet who um, is, I don't want to, not necessarily matriarch, but kind of a matriarch. So we're looking at her, her husband, um, their kids, their grandkids, and all of the like secrets that they're bringing home with them when they come back for this party. Um, so, you know, it's kind of got that like, oh, what is that J. Courtney Sullivan, Maine? Like where everybody mm. comes to all the family, you know, like the family comes home to the beach to like yell at each other about all their secrets. There's not much yelling here. It's a, it's a bit more, up, I don't know if uplifting is the right word. Um, heartwarming maybe? Like these people love each other and despite or in addition to how much angst they have and interpersonal drama and like family problems. Um, so you are, you watch like one of the village women fall in love for the first time and there's um, a marital issue where Edmund and Virginia are two main characters who um, they have a little boy who they're talking about sending away to boarding school. And like that decision is really messing with their marriage. So it's very much like the day-to-day stuff of being a human who like has a family, um, both found and of origin and the like, just the dealing of that, the every day in and out, the choices that you make, um, interacting with people who you have like decades and decades and decades of personal history with and what that looks like when you've been gone for a little bit and then you come back and have to like perform kind of normalcy and when is it a performance and when is it not you know like what is that line like all set against this like very beautiful Scottish village um there are a few jaunts in the book to like Majorca which only add to the like oh this is nice (laughs) this is like a nice vacation read so that's September by Rosamund Pulcher this was a weirdly hard question to I like finding the Scottish Highlands in particular. I struggled with this, um, but I think I think you'll dig the book I came up with. It's the Sunlight Pilgrims by Jenny Fagan, who is Scottish, um, and it is like it's it takes place in 2020, and it was written in you know 2016. So like it's near future, but that's the only really sci-fi thing about it. Um, and it basically imagines that like in 2020, the world is freezing over, like actively climate change is freezing the planet. So there's snow in Israel and the Thames is overflowing and, you know, an iceberg is like drifting off the coast of Scotland. Um, And so there's a couple of characters. Um, One of them, Dylan, lives in London. um, And most of the people in London are like headed for the south. But Dylan uh, just lost his, like he's grieving. Um, He has deaths in the family. And so he is actually heading north to bury his mother and grandmother's ashes on the Scottish islands where they're from. Um, Which is like, everybody's like, you're insane. Like you're going into the colder place when everything is getting colder. Like this is a terrible plan. And then up in the Scottish Highlands, there's a 12-year-old named Estella and her survivalist mother, Constance, who are, like, living in a caravan and digging through landfills and, like, living off the land, like, you know, dystopia style. Um, And, you know, their life is kind of samey and uneventful except for like the challenges of survival they don't have a lot of interaction with other people and so one night like dylan you know on his journey sort of 
stumbles across their caravan park in the middle of the night. And so the book is about these three interacting with each other and preparing for like, it's supposed to be, you know, a record breaking winter and like, how are they all going to survive? Um, so I thought that might be like, you know, you're going, it seems like uh, in mid April, so it won't be freezing. Hopefully <laughs> there will not be an iceberg floating off the coast of Scotland, um, but it might be fun to like read about like an, an alternative Scotland that you are not existing in um, while you're there. So that is my pick for you. Again, that's The Sunlight Pilgrims by Jenny Fagan. All right. Our next question is from Megan, who says, I'd like help finding a book for a friend or an audiobook recommendation or both. She loves books that empower women and have all the best intentions of showing you how to live your best life. She has enjoyed reading You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero and loved listening to The Universe Has Your Back by Gabriel Bernstein. Anything similar would be great. Um, I'm just going to keep talking. I picked The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, which is amazing on audiobook because she reads it. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, And as I think a lot of people have said, like, you can, if you are familiar with Grey's Anatomy or Scandal, you can kind of like hear, you're like, oh, Sandra Oh, or whoever, like, was kind of channeling Shonda in this moment when you hear Shonda talking. Um, So that's exciting for fans. And I, I read this book in print. I loved this book because Rhymes is talking about basically she has this like crippling fear of saying yes to things like she didn't want to go on interviews or Hollywood parties or like give a keynote or like talk to the media ever. Um, And there was like in her position that became increasingly a problem. So, uh, so she decided um, in 20, like at the end of 2013, that 2014 was going to be her year of saying yes to things that were scary. And there's even, but I, which like is amazing. But then also I'm like, Oh, I say like, I personally say yes to too many things. So I have the opposite problem. Yeah. And there's a great chapter in there uh, called saying yes to saying no. That was like my like forever anthem. So, uh, So, so I just, I think there's so much good stuff in here and there's so many great personal stories. She's really, she shares a lot about her own life and her, you know, being a parent and being part of a family and dealing with toxic friendships and just all of this stuff. It's so good. And she's so frank and she's so funny. So I just think this is like, it's, it's just great. It's just great. Um, So again, that's Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Okay, I picked The Power of Meaning by Emily Espahani-Smith. Um, I really love this book when it comes to that genre of like improving your life and uh, you know self-improvement, self-betterment. I don't know. I don't like self-help. That's a weird term. Um, but this, the thesis of this book is that personal happiness is kind of an empty goal um, because you're chasing a feeling that you can't always predict. But in reality, what people are chasing, but they don't really have the language for necessarily is meaning in your life. And so according to this author, the the like kind of four pillars of having a a meaningful life are belonging, purpose, um, transcendence, and storytelling. And so she travels around the country talking to different groups of people, um, doing different, uh, she talks a lot about different literary writers and philosophers, George Eliot and Buddha, um, among others, uh, to talk about how we create lives that build on those four pillars. And in doing so, you will eventually have a life that's happy. Um, But even if you aren't always happy all the time, feeling 100% fulfilled and content, like in every moment, you will, your life will have meaning and, and, um, and purpose and satisfaction, which is more important. And I think I read a lot of, of self-improvement books. And 
I think that a trap that a lot of them fall into is this, this exact thing, this like chasing of happiness, which is like a very fleeting, ephemeral, often meaningless word, especially at this point where we've written so many books about it that it's like, what does that even, what does that even mean? You know? Um, So if you're really looking for getting to like the bottom of how to craft a life that makes you feel like you have spent your time here well, I think this is a great book to, to read in pursuit of that. So that's The Power of Meaning by Emily Estahani Smith. Well, now I need that. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. Um, okay. Question three is from Jody, who says, I am finally rejoining the dating scene after a painful divorce following almost 20 years of marriage. I'm pretty nervous as things have changed a bit since I was last on a date. So I'm hoping you can help me with a romance book recommendation. I'm new to the genre um, and have enjoyed only The Kiss Quotient and The Duchess War. I identified with the awkwardness of the characters and would love to read more. Would you be able to recommend a romance that I might be able to identify with given my circumstance? Trying really hard not to feel like I am the only one. Maybe I am. (laughs) You're not. Um, Okay, I'm going to keep going. Yay! So I picked... Sarah McLean's divorce book, (laughs) which is The Day of the Duchess, um, which was published the day my divorce was finalized. Um, And I like, was that, I was at BEA. No, it wasn't published. I was at BEA and I got it signed by Sarah McLean the day. Like I had just gotten the call that my divorce was final. And then I got in line to have her sign this book for me. And then I read it on the plane home. So like, I know what you're feeling. Like I've been there. And this book was such a good read for me at that time. Um, so the main character is Malcolm, the Duke of Haven, which I just, the Duke of Haven, yes. um, and his <laughs> wife, uh, Sarah, who they are estranged. She left and has, uh, because of like some terrible thing that he did before the book opens. So she has left him and he, and like moved to America and is living her own life for like three years. Um, and he searched for her for a while, but like now kind of is accepting that, She's not coming back, but he needs to move on. He needs to get another wife because he needs an heir, Duke of Haven, blah, blah, blah. Um, except then she comes back and all she wants from him is a divorce. Like she just wants freedom so that she can do the things that she wants to do without, you know, the legal issues of technically being married. Um, and he refuses. Like as soon as he sees her, he's like, no, no, <laughs> I actually really like you still. <laughs> so he concocts this ridiculous scheme of like, I will grant you a divorce if you spend the summer at my house and help me interview a new wife. So she agrees because she like that desperately wants to be free of him. Um, and it's, it's a romance novel. So you can imagine how well that goes. Um, they dance around each other a lot um, because they both want conflicting things. And the thing that I love about this romance in particular and why it was so timely for me is because both of these characters are completely broken. Like they're really, really human. They do really, really do and say really hurtful things to each other. Also Haven is a jerk. Like he he is, I don't want to call him a misogynist, but he's, it takes him a long time to get to a place where he looks at his wife as a person and not just as like a object that is inconveniencing him um, or like a thing that he wants that is being really bratty and like will not give him what he wants kind of thing. So, and watching him, um, you can tell that McLean wrote this like right after the election, watching him realize that women are humans was like very satisfying (laughs) in the moment where I was trying to get free of my own terrible marriage. Um, It's also super steamy. Like it's a great romance. Sarah McLean is a great writer of romance and and, um, sex scenes. And uh, if you, and is a great intro, like she's a good, um, gateway I think into the genre this is a harder 
one of hers because the emotional stakes are so much higher than they are in a lot of the romances that she writes, I think. Um, but I think that if you're, you're fresh off a divorce, this is like a good, it'll just, all the feelings, just all the feelings will be validated, um, which is helpful. So that's The Day of the Duchess by Sarah McLean. Yeah, super cathartic. Mm-hmm, very much. Um, I picked A Girl Like Her by Talia Hibbert, and this book comes with a trigger warning for discussion of domestic violence. Um, this is a great romance novel. I loved it so much. It's about a woman named Ruth who lives in this tiny town in England, and she is on the autism spectrum. And so she, like, she does not like human contact. She's not down with just, like, hanging out with people or chit-chatting. Um, she loves comic books, and she just wants to, like, live her life. She's she's a comics writer and artist. Like, she has a job. She has a, her sister and her family. Um, and that's fine. She's That's fine for her. She does not really care about anything else. And also, she's sort of, you've come to find out over the course of the book, like, she clearly is being sort of ostracized or, like, talked about around town and it's because of her ex um, who was not a good person and really sort of messed her up uh, in a lot of ways and you know so she's like and and then went around town spreading terrible rumors about her so she's very isolated um, but she's like feels fine about it and then her she lives in an apartment complex and uh, with very thin walls and a new neighbor moves in Evan <laughs> who is a, like literal blacksmith um, ex-military and like a big cuddly teddy, teddy bear on the inside like all he wants is to take care of the people in his life and you know make a sort of fresh start in this new tiny town in England um, that he lives in and he sort of runs in like literally in in fact, on the street, runs into his neighbor and notices that she's kind of standoffish and like not part of the town vibe and decides that he needs to find out what's going on. And then he realizes like she literally doesn't know how to cook, like she's living out of a freezer and he's just like, oh, God, and like makes her lasagna and goes running over with it. Like he he is a dreamboat um, in so many ways. Um, and they're such opposites. Like Ruth is really blunt. She's really sarcastic. Um, she's really hurt on the inside but definitely not going to let anybody know it and he just like wants to make everything happy forever um but like he she doesn't necessarily know how to let him in and because she is you know autistic like she has been misunderstood a lot by people in the past and she she doesn't expect anybody to get her um and the way that their relationship unfolds and like the realizations that they each have about like their own sort of baggage and brokenness are just so lovely and just so heartwarming and so happy and it does feel like yeah like Ruth and Ruth never changes in that she doesn't, like, get any better at, like, you know, like, she doesn't have to like people. She doesn't have to, like, learn social graces, like, to get love. Like, that's not a thing that needs to happen for her. Like, she just has to find the person who gets her. And that is such a lovely, wonderful message um, that I really loved. And same for Evan. Like, he doesn't need somebody who's, like, the perfect hostess or whatever. He needs a person who gets him. And so watching them find each other is just delightful. Uh, so that's A Girl Like Her, which is the first in the Ravenswood series. They all take place in this tiny, small town um, by Talia Hibbert. 
Okay, our next question is from Maimuna, who says, I'm looking for two sets of books. The first, historical romance. I like Julia Quinn and pretty much read most of her books. I also like Candace Camp and read some Eloisa James. Uh, can you please suggest historical romance that have Cinderella fairy tale like stories? It would be great if there's witty banter and family dynamics. Mm -hmm. Second, I'm looking for fantastical slash magical sort of books. I loved Harry Potter. Something with wizards or witches could be fun. Also, if it could be a feel-good sort of book where there is a happy ending, that would be great. So we split this one up. Amanda, do you want to tackle the sure. first one? I took the Cinderella slash fairy tale stories um, angle. And so I picked Tessa Dare's Castle Ever After series. And the first book in that series is Romancing the Duke. And each of these books in the series are about uh, their historical Regency romances. And in each of the books, um, the main character, the heroine, inherits a castle for various and sundry reasons and then has to go live in the castle. It has a very fairy tale, <coughs> excuse me, it has a very fairy tale like setup, uh, even though none of them are really, I don't think, uh, based on fairy tales though romancing the duke you could maybe make a, like a beauty and the beast kind of comparison so in romancing the duke um the heroine's name is isolde and she is the daughter of a writer who was super successful and very famous but is now dead and she is and because of his like mismanagement of their money she is completely poor like when the book opens she hasn't eaten in a few days she has nowhere to go um no family alive and then she gets a letter from her godfather or from her godfather's like estate um that he has left her this crumbling castle and so she's like sweet somewhere to live at least like that one problem is solved so she travels to this castle um gets there goes inside except someone's already living there <laughs> and that someone is a very cranky blind duke um who is doesn't like he's just not very nice you know he's very beastie in that way um, and he does not respond well to like an extroverted woman coming into his home and telling him that she owns it now. Um, so they, they, he like physically kicks her out, like picks her up and removes her from the property, which comes back. She's got nowhere else to go. Um, and then he decides that he's going to give her a job. He'll pay her 200 pounds a day to answer all of his correspondence, which is stacked up quite nicely because he can't read any of it. Um, and while she's doing that, she can stay there in exchange. Um, and while they are getting through all of his papers, he's going to investigate how his home came to be sold without his knowledge. Um, and the answer is probably in that pile of papers. So that is the whole setup. Um, the problem, of course, ends up being that they like each other because it's a romance novel. And that's what happens. Despite <laughs> the fact that he bodily picked her up and tried to toss her out. Of, I'm sorry. I know that's not funny. I thought it was really funny, though. Because <laughs> she's just she she handles him quite nicely. But um, <laughs> I know I've just dug myself into a hole here now. Anyway, <laughs> there are castles and beastly type dudes and very smart women who handle them um, with aplomb. <laughs> so that's Romancing the Duke uh, by Tessa Dare. And that is the first book of the castles ever after a series. No one is surprised that I took the fantastical magical sort of book. And also some of you will not be surprised by my recommendation. It is Witchmark by C.L. Polk, which I continue to love. One of my favorite fantasies of the last year. And it is so, it is so feel good without being like, what is the word I want? Like it's, it's got stakes. It's like weighty. Swoopy. 
Yeah, it's got a lot of heft to it. There's emotional stakes and there's action and there's political shenanigans. But you also just feel so good when you're done reading it. You're like, oh, I feel just amazing right now. Um, it takes place in a sort of Edwardian England-esque world where there is some technology, but not a ton. And there is a world war going on. Um, and there are all of these like noble families who have magical gifts and they are in charge. And then everybody who's not noble, if they have any traces of magic, they are like basically considered to be witches and they will go insane. And so for their own good and the good of everybody else, they have to be sent to these asylums. So unless you're noble, you don't get to have magic. And like the nobles magic is considered different from the magic of everybody else for reasons. Um, and so our main character, Miles Singer, is working in a veterans hospital. He himself uh, was in combat and has come back and is using his medical training to help returning soldiers. And he's noticing that they all have this weird form of PTSD that doesn't seem entirely just like mental. Like it perhaps has nefarious roots and while he's trying to figure that out he's also sort of in hiding because he does have magic and nobody can know he's not even like that's not even his real name um and then one day a patient comes in who has been poisoned and like dies in his arms and sort of charges miles with like this clue and has to figure out what is going on here. It ties in, it ties into, uh, to maybe like he thinks it might tie into what's going on with his patients. Um, and his cover gets blown and everything goes to heck in a handbasket. And he has to, to like figure out like what is going on and how he fits into it and what he can do about it. And there's a beautiful gay love story. There are so many great characters in this book. Um, and they do like, you do feel at the end, it is the first in a series, I will warn you. So it's not like everything everything isn't tied up with a tidy bow, but there's a really good ending. It's very satisfying. And you just, yeah, you're just going to feel great when you finish it. Like, I, I just, I haven't recommended this to anybody yet who has not come back and been like, oh, yes, that was great. Like, wow. I, this has been, as far as I am aware, like universally beloved by everybody I've recommended it to. So I feel strongly that you will like it. Uh, so again, that's Witchmark by C.L. Polk. And now is the time for our next sponsor, which is Girls with Sharp Sticks by Suzanne Young. And this is about the girls of Innovations Academy who are beautiful and well-behaved. And you know that because it says so on their report cards. Under their guardian, they receive a well-rounded education that promises to make them better. So they're supposed to be obedient and free of troublesome opinions or individual interests. Uh, but of course, because of course, their carefully controlled existence is not quite as it appears. And Mina, our main character, and her friends start to uncover the dark secrets of what's actually happening at this academy and who they really are, and they start to learn to fight back. Uh, the publisher is calling it Westworld Meets the Handmaid's Tale, because everything is compared to The Handmaid's Tale right now. Um, so it is, but if that is your vibe, uh, it is a new sci-fi series that confronts some of today's most pressing ethical questions. Um, it's the first book in a brand new series by the New York Times bestselling author of the program, Suzanne Young. And uh, so you've got high-octane drama, you've got near future, you've got romance, you've got plot twists, and you've got real-world issues. Cosmo Cosmopolitan said that this book has enough plot twists to give a reader whiplash, <laughs> which is always a good time. So if that sounds like your jam, uh, check it out. It is Girls with Sharp Sticks by Suzanne Young and sponsored by Simon & Schuster. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show.
I love that title. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> Very wheelhouse. Alrighty. Question five is from Stressed Introvert. Comes up by us. Um, okay. Who says, I'm looking for a book recommendation to help with being an introvert handling drawn out social situations. I'm very introverted, but can usually handle social situations that I have some control over or that have a defined start or end time, like being at work or going out for meals with friends. Drawn out situations like hosting people in my house for several days are very stressful. Last week was really difficult when after having my second child and being postpartum, my in-laws stayed with us for a week. Needless to say, I found it to be very stressful on top of the lack of sleep. And I'm worried that I could damage my relationship with my family. Can you recommend any books on how to handle social situations when being introverted? I've already read Quiet. Okay, um, we have a post on this site called 10 Life-Changing Books for Introverts that I think most of these would be pretty helpful for you. So I'm just going to leave a link to those in the show notes. Um, and I picked one of those, and it's called The Awakened Introvert. It's by Arnie Kozak. And the subtitle is Practical Mindfulness Skills to Help You Maximize Your Strength and Thrive in a Loud and Crazy World, which it sounds like, I mean, two kids, new baby, in-laws in your house, your world is probably pretty loud and crazy right now. Um, so the thing that I love about this book, it is both a confirmation that being introverted is good, which is something I think that's missing from a lot of our like social personality conversations. Um, this is definitely an extroverted world and a world designed to help extroverts thrive. And it can be really easy for introverts to feel like they are less than or less talented or less valuable. Um, and this book directly speaks to that. Uh, and then it gives you tools both for how to use mindfulness and uh, like mindfulness meditation and cognitive behavioral tools to keep yourself calm and like together in situations where you are feeling overwhelmed or where you're around a lot of people and there's nothing you can do about it um, and you're like getting anxious. So he gives you tools for that. But then he also help, gives you a lot of like um, advice for how to take advantage of your strengths in those situations. So like introverts are really good at communication. They're really good at reflection um, and things like that. And so he talks about how to use those strengths that you already have in situations where you're probably uncomfortable to ease your way, um, not necessarily to make other people feel more comfortable with your like quietness, um, but how to be more confident in it and how to just like wrangle your feelings and everything that's happening around you at the same time um, so that you don't let situations that you're in that you can't control um, make you feel bad about yourself or put you into any kind of like anxiety spiral, which is especially if you have a new baby and are postpartum, like you're probably already there. Um, at least I was uh, when my kids were first born. Everything is everything is stressful and like a tragedy and an emergency um, and loud and noise. And it's just really tough. So dealing with that on top of having people in your house is like you need all the mindfulness assistance you could possibly get. So that's The Awakened Introvert by Arnie Kozak. I love this question. Um, and I also was coming at it kind of from a side angle because I saw Amanda had like the introvert specifics covered. And I thought you might find helpful um, one of Brene Brown's. I think this is actually my, maybe her earliest book. I thought it was just me, Women Reclaiming Power and Courage in a Culture of Shame. Because the thing that I was thinking about when reading your question was about how hard I find it as both an introvert and a people pleaser to say no to people mm. when they want something that is like hard for me or is going to be sincerely stressful. And like I am terrible have been terrible at drawing boundaries that are good for me, but feel like it feels telling people no is feels horrible. Um, and, 
And and then I have all kinds of men like, oh, I'm selfish or I'm this or I'm that for wanting to say no to things or for not enjoying the things that other people seem to enjoy or for, you know, having these feelings about my abilities to do like, you know, to be a good family member or to be a good mom or to be whatever. I mean, I'm not a mom, but you know what I'm talking about, to be like good at the things that society or culture tells me I should be good at um, and what ways I should be good at those things. And this book just deconstructs all of of that. And what she's specifically looking at are women and shame and the way that, you know, addiction and perfectionism and fear and blame all are coming out of this culture where women are basically told you have to be good at all of these things. And if you're not, you're a bad person. Um, like if you don't like having people around, if you don't like going mm-hmm. out to things, if you're not comfortable with X, Y, or Z, that means that you're the problem. And you're not. Like it's okay to not want to do some things. It's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to not be perfect at everything like that's that's a message that we don't hear often enough um and so Brene Brown did this whole huge study she talked to tons of women she talked to therapists about all of these things and is sort of bringing her research and these personal stories into this book and it's so powerful like it is really it really digs into I think a lot of really damaging narratives that we have internalized and uh and it's so helpful you know like the title says like it's not just me Like, it's not just that I am like a special snowflake. Like, other people feel this way, too. We are all struggling with something. And that's maybe okay. And like, maybe we can, maybe we can build like space for ourselves to have struggles and to not be perfect at things and have that be okay. So yes, I highly recommend it. It's really, really good. Uh, Again, that's I Thought It Was Just Me by Brene Brown. And our next question is from Emily, hashtag hooked on get booked. Thanks for that. That that gave me a good chuckle. Um, And so it says, I recently caught the live performance of Rent on Fox, which is a musical I have loved since childhood. Always leaves me wishing there was more. I'm so enthralled by ensembles of all compelling of all compelling characters and strong friendships, but I mostly get that vibe from TV shows and movies such as The Family Stone, This Is Us, Friends, Parenthood, and of course, Rent. I'm open to all levels of realism and time periods, but I'm hoping that you know of any books that reflect the feels from shows like these. What do you got, Amanda? Um, Just the biggest trigger warning. So (laughs) I picked A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara, which has several trigger warnings, um, mostly self-harm, sexual assault, and harm to children. I, you know, this is such a big book, both like in size and in reputation that I don't know if I need to tell you what it's about, but I will say that it, it's about four classmates, um, four men who graduate from a little college in Massachusetts. They all move to New York to like make it or break it in their various um, occupations. Uh, but the main character that you're focusing on is a guy named Jude, who has a really terrible traumatic childhood. Uh, and then you follow him specifically, but all four of them as the other three kind of like orbit him um, as they grow from, well, not grow, they're adults, but as they grow from being, you know, newly minted adults fresh out of college to like middle-aged men. Um, and it's just, it's really hard. <laughs> it's a really hard read. And I struggled with this question because like, like This Is Us is a hard show to watch. Like a lot of things happen in that show that are very emotional, but like Friends, maybe not so much. <laughs> so, I mean, unless you have a really strong feeling about Ross and Rachel, I don't know, <laughs> which I do, but the, neither here nor there. Um, but A Little Life is a lot more dark, I would say. And it's, it is a lot, uh, it's, all, it's almost 800 pages and none of them are happy pages. So I'm just like throwing that out there that if you have trouble reading 
really long, emotionally difficult books, then this might not be the one for you. But if you can handle it, I think that it will scratch this itch for you because it is an ensemble. It is about found family in the same way that all of those shows um, are and the books that you mentioned are. So I, yeah, like I struggled with this one, but I'm going to stand by, I'm going to stand by it and reiterate that it's very sad. Like the cover is a man crying for a reason. So just throwing that out there. But if you can handle it, I think it would be a really rewarding reading experience for you. Okay, I'm going to stop talking now. So that's A Little Life by Hanya Yanagahara. I picked for you a book that I basically consider friends, but queer and set in Toronto. <laughs> uh, it's Holding Still for as Long as Possible by Zoe Whittle. And this is about three uh, 20-somethings living in Toronto, uh, sort of trying to figure their stuff out. Um, so uh, two of the characters are a couple. I've forgotten everybody's name. I apologize. Um, I read this book a while ago. But so two of them are a couple and they're sort of struggling like they their relationship is not working anymore and they're not really sure why um one of them is an emt and so like his life is very stressful in that way and so he's sort of struggling with the things that he sees but also just like a lot of times it's totally fine so it's harder to go home and have this like relationships on the rocks and then there's a mutual friend who sort of there's like a little bit of a triangle, a romance shape, if you will, um, that happens. But what I love about this book is difficult things happen. And like, you know, one of the characters really struggles with anxiety and um, depression and the feelings aren't easy, but like ultimately it is a hopeful, positive, fun book. There's some really funny moments. And then there's just a lot of like, seeing yourself as a 20 something in the characters of this book like I'm now in my mid to late 30s but I like it's 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 fresh it wasn't that long ago and I'm like oh yeah I remember that like I remember how that group dynamic was or how those feelings in a relationship like that were like it has a lot of what you're talking about of like you know there's these characters and their friendships and their romances and things aren't always easy but like they all kind of find their way back to each other that's very much the feeling of this book um so I think you will enjoy Enjoy it. Uh, it again. It is holding still for as long as possible by Zoe Whittle. All right. Our last question is from Jill, who says, uh, "Because of a family member, my uncle Tom, and because of a friend's mother, I have a special interest in finding two topics I haven't come across yet. I love nonfiction, but I love reading historical fiction about a topic first. Do you know of any books that feature the flying tigers over Burma during World War II, and or uh, books about the flight of people referred to as White Russians fleeing Russia after the fall of the Tsar?" Okay, um, I picked the White Russians fleeing Russia after Far of the Tsar thing and went with A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls, which I think has just come out in paperback, I'm guessing, because I just got it in the mail. So probably available in paperback for you now. Um, this takes place a little bit after the, the maybe the period that you're talking about, but is about the same set of people. So it takes place in the 20s, and it's about a man named Count Rostov, who is an aristocrat who is living, I think, in Paris, and then he comes back to Russia because of the revolution, um, and he is arrested, as many uh, aristocrats were, and is put up in front of a Bolshevik tribunal. And of course, you know, the fate of most people who were put up for a Bolshevik tribunal was execution or being shipped off to Siberia, where they would either die or be executed. So like, not a lot of options here for this guy. Um, but he manages to get a different sentence, which is house arrest for life in the Metropole, which is this big, beautiful luxury hotel across the street from the Kremlin. And so they lock him into his family's rooms in this hotel, but restrict him to the attic. So he, he's not like, you know, living in several, several rooms. He's got one room and he has to stay there 
forever. Like if he comes outside, if he leaves the hotel grounds, he will be executed. That is the deal. Um, and so you are just in his life, like in his little room um, while he watches history happen outside of his window um, and also gets to know some of the other people who are living in the hotel. At one point, like a child shows up and is living with him. Like it's all very confusing. Um, but he, if you, Amor Tolls wrote Rules of Stability, which was one of my favorite books of the year when that came out. And he's just so good at writing dignified men in pain. Like it's this very specific talent that he has that I've never really encountered um, in another author. But like, I don't have massive amounts of sympathy for the aristocratic class after the revolution, like, you know, um, but he is the most just like gentle, intellectual, erudite character. And you feel so much for him, even though there's very little like, quote unquote, happening, like it's just a man in a room, right? Um, for years, for his whole life. Um, but the comings and goings of the secondary characters and him watching what's happening in a way that he can't participate in, which is, you know, for someone from a really wealthy aristocratic class is not something that he's used to. It's just so interesting. It's so interesting. Um, so that's A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. I tried so hard to find you a Flying Tigers over Burma book that I could recommend, and I just came up totally dry. So if any of y'all who are listening have recommendations for that, please do send them in. It was not, there's just really not a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and instead of a historical fiction, I have a book for you written by a woman who did leave Russia after the Russian Revolution um, and was an expat living in Paris. Um, so it's like technically contemporary fiction about a period but it was written by somebody who lived that, that period so it is historical in that like it was first published in 1936 so you see what i'm saying uh it's the book of happiness by nina berberova and this book comes with a trigger warning for suicide and it is essential to the plot so i'm going to talk about it so if you don't want to hear that like skip ahead so this is considered to be perhaps her she's a she's a Russian writer has written a lot and this is considered perhaps her most autobiographical book. Um, my library hole did not come in on time so I've just been reading a lot of reviews but I can't wait to read this book it sounds fascinating. Uh, the main character Vera uh, at the novel's opening she is told that her childhood friend Sam has committed suicide um, and is summoned to the scene uh, because there is a note for her and Sam's family left Russia in the early days of the revolution and they have not seen each other for a very long time so this blast from her past in just really terrible sad circumstances gets her thinking about her own life both in Russia and then now in Paris um, and how she left and why she hasn't been in touch with him and she lives with a brilliant but very demanding husband who also is an invalid so you know their life is complicated and difficult uh, and the book uh, really just traces her own life in the context of the Russian Revolution and then being an expat in Paris, where there were quite a few, actually. There was a whole, a lot of the white Russians fled to Prague and Paris in particular. Uh, so, so it is, it's all about, you know, that, like what it was like to grow up in Russia and then leave in these circumstances and what her life is like and the men in her life. And so it's a very, you know, uh, 
woman thinking about her stuff book, which I find very interesting. <laughs> and it's actually sort of the comp, I guess, to Amanda's. Like, we've got, we've got both sides of the gender. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I think you'll find it interesting, especially because I always think, I mean, historical fiction is great because usually the writer has done a lot of research and they're recreating this time, but it is also really interesting to get the perspective of somebody who is writing as they have lived through the thing. Mm -hmm. So that's, I thought that might be a nice compliment. So that's the book of happiness by Nina Berberova. And that's our show. Hooray. Thank you all so much for listening. Please leave ratings and reviews on Apple podcasts. If you are so inclined, it helps other folks to find the show and we love to see the feedback. Um, thank you to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. You can find us on social media. I am on Twitter mostly as Jen IRL and that is Jen with two N's IRL. And I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. 